want to tell you a story about a man that, um, he, he was from the South. I don't know if many of you know much about the South, but it's really, people in the South are really friendly, and uh, not like you're not friendly in California, but, but it's a different type of thing. And so, so he grew up in the South, and he came into some money, and he got transferred in his job to Portland, Oregon. And he moved there, and he had lots of money, and he decided he's going to find the nicest neighborhood in Portland. And I don't know anything about Portland, but he found this beautiful community. And it was gated, so it was safe. And if you're in Portland, you, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of homeless people there. So they, they have the gates up around this to keep, to keep this wealthy neighborhood safe. And this man moves in, and, and he immediately starts starts baking stuff, or his wife starts baking stuff so they can take it to the neighbors. And they would take a loaf of bread to their neighbors and knock on the door, and the neighbors would kind of look out with one eye and go, yeah, thanks, and close the door. And they're like, what, what is going on? Do these people not like us? You know, do they not like our southern draw? What, what is it? And so uh, they keep trying to befriend their neighbors to, to not much luck. They go on walks, and they wave real big at their neighbors, and their neighbors would kind of look at them funny, like, what's wrong with you? And, and so after a while, they thought, you know what? We are going to have a barbecue right here in Portland, Oregon. We're going to have a big barbecue. We're going to invite the whole gated community to come to our barbecue. And so they threw this big party. They had, they even hired people to come in and cook the food in their kitchen. And they had tons of food because it was a big neighborhood. And they went and they passed out invitations. They put invitations on every door in the entire neighborhood. And the day of the party comes and nobody shows up. None of the neighbors came. And so the guy is like desperate. He's like, we've got all this food. What in the world are we going to do? And so he gets together some of the people they hired to make the food and to, and to serve the people when they came. They said, hey, would you mind doing something? Would you go out and just start knocking on these people's doors and say, hey, we got food. Come on. So these people, they start knocking on the doors. People were annoyed with them. And they come back. And this guy goes, I am so tired of this. He goes, I don't understand. We need to go down into Portland, and we need to bring people in. And so they do. They go into Portland. They start telling everyone on the streets, we've got the biggest barbecue you, ever, you have ever seen. And so pretty soon, all these homeless people, all these, these down-and-out people, people from these poor neighborhoods start coming up to the gate. And he forgot, what are we going to do with this gate? And so he puts one of the guys out by the gate just to keep it open so all these people can come in. Now, you can imagine in this gated community that the police were called pretty quick because you got the homeless people coming in. You got, you got people carrying all their bags of trash and, and things, and they're coming in. The police show up, and go, what's going on? And they say, well, there's a party at this house, and all these people have been invited so I, there's nothing wrong with that. These people can come. And so this continues. And, and all these homeless people show up at this man's house. The neighbors are furious. And then he realizes it's, there's still tons of food. So he, he hires a few people, a few more people, and said, I need you to go into Portland, and you need to tell everybody about this barbecue. I want every last ounce of food taken. And so they go down and they start rounding people up. And you can imagine all the people walking into this gated community and going to the barbecue at the southern guy's house. Now, I completely made that story up. And, and it's, it probably would never happen in a gated community. I don't even know much about Portland. But 
Jesus tells that exact same story. Maybe you've heard it. it but it's called the Great Feast. And it's in Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells a story about a rich man that has this big party. And they go out and they invite people. And guess what? They're too important to come. They're busy. They don't have time to come. So then they start inviting everybody. I want to read to you what it says. It says, the servant came back and reported to his master. <clears throat> and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room and then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, when you think about this in our environment, that's a radical kind of thing, right? To, to invite everybody and to invite all the homeless people that, that we go out and feed in Oceanside, come to my house and eat. I mean, that's, that's a radical thing. And now Jesus is comparing this to the kingdom of heaven. And, and so as we look at this, this radical love, and we're continuing today in our series on the transformed life, what it looks like to live a transformed life. And today, Paul lays out really this radical way of living. Now, it sounds really good to us. It sounds like, hey, that's what we should do. But really, if we apply it to our lives, if we apply it to our culture we live in, it's pretty radical. And, and so here's what Paul says today, beginning in verse 13 through 21. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a bunch of stuff in there that we can go, yeah, I do that. But then there's things where we're like, I don't want to do that, right? I mean, come on. I mean, when someone's mean to you and someone, someone is just, I mean, you know, do you really want to? come back with love. I mean that's this is really this is this is my summary of what Paul's saying here. Share, invite people over, bless people, celebrate with people, cry with people, be humble and respect all people, do what is right, be nice to people that are mean to you. <laughs> do not allow evil to win. Instead, be so good that it overwhelms evil. It sounds radical, right? But as followers of Jesus, this is what our lives should look like. I mean, that's what Paul is doing here. This is the transformed life. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, the what, or this is the way you should live. This is what your life should look like. Look like. And so going back to Romans 12 too, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so being transformed is not following a checklist of these are the right things and these are the wrong things. Actually, being transformed is it's who you become. It's this overwhelming, this is the core of who you are. And that's what Paul is calling us to, a transformed life. This is what your life should look like. Now, Peter is someone that I have always been interested in. When you read the stories about Peter, I, I, always, I have this thing, it would just be really cool to be able to, to sit around the campfire with Jesus and his disciples and, and just hear what they talk about after a day of, of ministry, a day of feeding 5,000 people. Just what are those conversations around the campfire, right? And, and Peter's one of those guys, as you read stories about him, you think, yeah, I can kind of relate to Peter. Peter always reacted a little bit too quick. He, he was a little bit rough around the edges. He wasn't well educated, but man, he was passionate, right? Uh, sometimes he spoke too quick and put his foot in his mouth. Sometimes he did stupid things, but he was passionate. At, at the core, Peter seemed to be really good, right? And, and if you go through Peter's life with Jesus... He, I, you can kind of see the transformation taking place. It begins in Matthew 16. Jesus is asking the disciples, what, what do people say about me? What are they saying? And, and then he asks the disciples, who do you think I am? Peter's response is, well, I think you're, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the Savior. I think you're the Son of God. And, and he comes back with this excitement. And, and that's where Jesus says, Peter, you're right. You finally believe, and he tells him, hey, you're going to be the rock that I build this whole movement on. And, and so here Peter believes. I mean, that's a pretty big step, right, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so that's the first step in his transformation. And then you, you can say, well, you can believe something, right? But then it doesn't really take root. Uh, you can believe in something but really not love that something, and so once you believe, then there has to be this next step of, man, you've got to fall in love, right? And I believe Peter does that as his time with Jesus. And, and Jesus at one point actually tells Peter and all the disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I mean, that's kind of the response. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And one of the commands he had just given them before he said that was, I give you this new command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and so basically, Jesus is saying, look, if, if you really love me, then you're going to love people the way that I love people. If, if you really love me, you're going to obey what I'm telling you to do. And that's what I'm telling you to do. Because love like that can obviously change the world, right? The, the, if we love the way that Jesus loved his disciples, if we love the way Jesus loves us, man, that's life-changing. And so here he's telling Peter that. But you know, if you've been in church long enough, you know that Peter had his troubles, right? The night that Jesus is arrested... Peter comes running in with the sword and he chops off the, the soldier's ear and Jesus rebukes him and heals his ear. And then Peter takes off. He runs away. And later that night, there he is as Jesus is in trial. Peter is denying him three different times to three different groups of people. He says, I don't even know this Jesus guy. I'm, I'm not part of this. 
And he goes through that. And then you fast forward to when Jesus is resurrected. And here's this morning when the guys are out fishing. Peter's back out fishing with the guys. And Jesus is on the beach cooking breakfast. Kind of a cool thing, right? I'd like to be at that campfire too. And so here they come in from their, their catch and they sit down with Jesus and they have breakfast and then Peter and Jesus go on a walk. And you have to remember, Peter has denied even knowing Jesus. They haven't talked about it. Have you ever been in that situation where you know there's something between you and it's kind of awkward, but you don't really want to talk about it? That's where they're at. And finally, Jesus approaches it like this and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, I do. I do. I, I know what you're talking about. I just want you to know, I really do love you. And Jesus responds with, well, feed my sheep. And again, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, absolutely, I love you. Again, well, take care of my sheep. And one more time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And this Peter had been like, ah, Jesus, I've told you. Yes, I love you. And once again, Jesus says, then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Every time that he asked, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. If you love me then, Peter, then take care of these people. Love the people that I love. And then after that, it, it, they go to walk away. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, follow me. He just simply says, follow me. In, in other words, Peter, if you love me, love people. If you love me, really love people and now follow me. And what he's saying is live the way I have lived. Love the way I've loved. I like the term of being followers of Jesus. He calls Peter, hey, come follow me. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So as followers of Jesus, if we follow this pattern, first we have to believe. So as followers of Jesus, we believe and then we Love, we fall in love with Jesus, and then we live the way that Jesus lived. So as followers of Jesus, we believe, we love, and then we live the way that Jesus lived. That, that is what our life should look like. Now, Paul is laying it out in more detail, right? He's saying, hey, if we are followers of Jesus, our lives should be transformed, and this is what we should look like, this radical love of Jesus. And so you go through verses 13 through 21, and you break it down like this. First of all, enjoy people. If you are a follower, transformed follower of Jesus, enjoy people. Have them over. Celebrate with them. If something terrible has happened in their life, cry with them, mourn with them. In other words, be there for them. You should not just enjoy them, but love them, right? And, and so here, we've got this idea that, man, we need to enjoy people. Now, not all of us are people people, right? <laughs> I, I get that. And, and it's not always the same for every person, but just enjoy people. Celebrate with them, cry with them, have them over, hang out with them. Uh, the second thing is be humble and respect all people. And, and honestly, this is one of those things that when you look at the church uh, back over the, the centuries, we've struggled with this, right? That, that's one of the things that you hear the first complaint. I don't go to that church. Those people, they look down their nose at me because I don't live the way they do. I'm not like them. And they look down their nose at me. And, and, and there's that feeling, right? 
And and quite often, it's easy, our human nature, right? If we think we're living the best life, or that we're doing everything we're supposed to be, and we see that person, and they're not, it's human nature to kind of go, look at them. What's wrong with them? Uh, But what Paul is telling us, man, respect all people. Poor people, crippled people, lame people, people that don't live like you live, people that, that don't believe like you believe, well, we still respect them, right? Well, we still humble ourselves and maybe we need to offer help. We need to help them when they're in need. We, we need to be there for them. And, and then Paul says, be nice to mean people. I'm going to be honest, this one's very difficult. It's, it's one of those things you go, really? Why, why do you have to put that in there, right? I mean, why, why do we have to be nice to mean people? Now, Jesus tells us that you're actually not supposed to just love those who love you. You're supposed to love your enemies. And if they slap you on one cheek, give them the other cheek. And, and his reasoning is, he says, you know what? Anybody can love people that love them back. And that's true. But as followers of Jesus, not only do you love those that are easy to love, we're supposed to love those that are difficult to love. Uh, Those that stand opposed to us, we're supposed to love them. Uh, Now Paul has this, he brings in Proverbs 25 that that basically says, you know, by loving them this way, it's going to be like heaping burning coals on their head. Now that should not be the motivation. So I just want to make that clear. Your motivation and being kind to them should not be that burning coals get heaped on their heads. But in all reality, there's something about when someone is rude and mean and angry and you respond in love, there's something about that. Maybe you've been in that situation. You go, oh, wow, what did I do? I mean, there's a conviction in that. And I believe that's, that's what he is saying is, man, if you respond in love, man, not only is it the right way to live, but man, it's gonna make a powerful statement to that person. And then the last thing he says, and and this is just really this overwhelming thing. Don't be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. I mean, your life, we're all going to have times where we trip up. We're, We're all in this world, right? But don't let the world overcome us. Instead, live in such a way that's so good and so right and so loving that it overcomes the evil in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our churches. We should be living in a way as followers of Jesus that good overcomes evil. And one of the things is that Jesus, who we're supposed to be following, didn't really love people. His words would have had no power. They would have been meaningless. His disciples would not have followed him to the grave. But Jesus, he went in and he healed the blind people, which is completely against just being with the down and out was against their culture. He healed the blind people. He touched the sick people. He ate with sinners. I mean, he heals the soldier's ear after Jesus or after Peter comes in and cuts it off. This man's arresting him, but he heals his ear. As he's been beating, beaten, about to be hung on the cross, he asked God to forgive these people that are about to kill him. If Jesus didn't really love, his words would not have been powerful. I believe it's the same for us. I, I was good friends with a guy in high school and college that, that was just 
I mean, if, if you said, point to a Christian, you point to that guy. I mean, he did everything right. He, he didn't even cuss. And even on the football field, he would say darn instead of other bad words. I mean, this guy, he was like the perfect model Christian. He lived it out. And then well, I knew him in college too, and he was part of my friend group. And, and we're out with a, with a bunch of people, and we're in a car, and we're driving to a, to a baseball game. And, and on the way, a, a guy on our floor, his name came up. His name was Michael. And in this perfect role model Christian guy starts in on Michael because Michael annoyed him. And he goes, man, that Michael drives me crazy. In fact, he is such a dork. And he starts in just tearing Michael apart. And all of a sudden, the car just goes quiet while he's just ripping Michael apart. And then you hear this voice go, actually, Michael's my brother. One of the people in the back seat was Michael's brother, and this guy didn't know it. And, and you can imagine in that situation that that brother wasn't looking at that guy going, that's a model Christian. Man, that guy, he, I mean, if you want to point to someone that's good, it's him. Uh-uh. Because there was this, this hatred, this, this annoyance. His words were void. Right? He could have turned to that guy and said, oh man, I was just joking. I, I love your brother. It wouldn't have made one bit of difference. And how many times in our lives do we live in a way that makes our words about Jesus, about the church, just void? Meaningless, right? I mean, really, if, if, we, <laughs> if we don't actually love, our words mean nothing. And if you go, you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, and you listen to Jesus, and then Jesus' followers, the disciples, and then Paul, they all came to the same conclusion. And that was this, the most important thing ever in the history of humanity is to love God and love your neighbor. They all come to the same conclusion. It has to start there or nothing else matters. We can follow all the rules of the Bible we can follow all our own rules in the church. If we're mean and hateful and we gossip, if we're angry and rude or arrogant, it means nothing. Uh, those words mean nothing. As followers of Jesus, we believe, we love, and then we live the way that Jesus lived. And I believe when we're a transformed follower, that becomes the core of who we are. That becomes who we are. If we're an authentic follower, the, the word authentic means genuine, real, or, or done in the same way as an original. And, and I love that there because you can be authentic and not actually be the real thing. If, if you are just like the original, it's saying, then you can be authentic. That's what we're called to be. If we're authentic followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be just like the original. We're supposed to live just like Jesus. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you can believe. You can believe in God. You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But you can believe and still not love. We all know that's true, right? And, and, and if we're honest, it's actually easier to love God than it is to love your neighbor. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, it's easy for me to get down on my knees in the morning and say, God, I love you. I mean, he's not, he's not 
you know, letting his dog poop in my yard. He's not, he's not flipping me off in traffic. He's doing none of those things. He's just listening to me. He's God, right? That's pretty easy to love God. But, but the problem is then we have to actually go out and love the people he created. You can love God and still not love your neighbors. And so it's, it's easy to love God, but it's difficult to love someone that's different than us or someone we don't understand, or to love someone that's living in a way we don't approve. It's easier to love God than to love people, yet every single person you see is created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. So that person that makes you so angry, they were created in the image of God. And every time you look at a person, a homeless person, a rich person, and everything in between. That's as close as you're going to see to God on earth. We are all created in the image of God. And so God says, if you love me, then you love people. Love your neighbor. Love people. And honestly, loving our neighbor, it's, it's a choice. It's a daily choice, and sometimes for some of us it's an hourly choice, and sometimes it's a minute-by-minute choice. We, we have to keep making that choice, don't we? Because it's not easy. But it is a choice. We have to choose not only to love God, but to love our neighbor as well. And as authentic followers of Jesus, we not only believe, but we love. We love him, and we love those around us. And, and I want to read to you again this radical picture that Paul gives us of this love. He says, share with the Lord's people that are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge and I'll repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The very first king of Israel, his name was King Saul. And King Saul started off a really good king. And then he started going bad, basically. And he got to a point where he really didn't do anything well. <laughs> he became a bad king. And God was kind of done with King Saul. Even though he had put King Saul there, King Saul had strayed away. And so God raised up a guy named David. We've all heard of David. If you've gone to church more than a few times, you've heard of David. And David was this young kid. But what happened was Saul became very jealous of David because Saul began to realize that all the people loved David. He killed a giant. He was great in battle. He was a warrior. He was... He didn't want David to become king. King Saul was so jealous of him that he decided he was going to kill him. He didn't want David to become king. He wanted his own family to stay in power. And so King Saul turns against David and he makes David's life miserable. 
For years, David is on the run. He's, he's fleeing from King Saul. Most of his, his early adult years is running from his own king because his own king wanted him dead. And then one day in battle, King Saul dies. And his son Jonathan dies in the same battle. And in those days, when a king died, inside that country, it went crazy. Because who is going to be the next king? And so immediately, fighting starts happening. And the fighting starts happening. David comes in. David with his fighting men, they win the throne of Israel. And so David becomes the king of Israel. And, and now, the first thing that happens, if you become the king back in that day and time, what do you do? You kill everybody in the other king's family. Because you don't want anybody to have a right to your throne. So you wipe them out. David's men did that to an extent. They wiped out Saul's kids and his grandkids, and it was probably brutal. And one day, David's in his palace. He'd been king for a while. He'd done a bunch of good things. The people loved him. And he asked one of his servants, he goes, is there anyone left in Saul's family? Is there anybody? And they said, well, we've actually heard of one person, and his name is Mephibosheth. But you don't have to worry about him, David. He's not a threat. The guy's lame. You see, what happened is the day that Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And the maid went and scooped him up because they're all running for their life because they know King David and his men are coming to wipe out everybody. And so the, the maid starts running with Mephibosheth and she falls and he breaks both legs. Well... No time to stop and put casts on these. No time to go to the hospital. We're getting out of here. And so they run all the way to a place called Lodabar. And when they get there, they basically go into hiding. And they live there for years. But Mephibosheth is lame in both legs. He's Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth is the only guy left in Israel that has a right to the throne. And so David tells the servant, go get Mephibosheth and bring him to me. When they get there to Lodabar, they find Mephibosheth. They say, King David wants to see you. And the first thought in Mephibosheth's mind would have been, it's over, I'm dead. And they bring him before David. They, they probably drag him in there. He might kind of walk in there limping because he's lame in both feet. And, and, the, and over and over in 2 Samuel, it tells us he's lame in both feet. And basically what it's saying is this guy's worthless. He has no worth in this culture. He can't become king. He can't earn money. He's just kind of there. Mephibosheth stands before David and he just falls on his face, just hoping for mercy. And what David does is he looks at this kid and he basically tells him, I am so glad you're here because I love you. And I want you to eat at my table every day. He, he has this overwhelming love for this man that was his enemy's grandson. And, and he had every right to kill him. But, but the other part of this is Mephibosheth comes lame in both feet. He has no value to David. This doesn't help David politically. This doesn't help his armies. This does nothing for David. Except David was a man after God's own heart. 
And David offered love and grace. In 2 Samuel, it says the Mephibosheth ate at David's table every day with his own sons. You can imagine Mephibosheth limping to the table. His own sons sitting around and David coming in and embracing Mephibosheth, who's the enemy. This is the kind of love that we're called to. This is this radical kind of love that we're called to as followers of Jesus. And sometimes when you look at love like this, like Paul's laid out for her, she goes, is it even possible? Well, obviously, I believe it is possible. It's not easy. And, and, and what, I, what I would challenge us to do this week, and you've got a blue card there close to you, is I would challenge you. Last week, we talked about prayer and the power of prayer and just keep knocking. And, and you would be shocked if every morning, if you prayed this prayer, how it would change your heart. Uh, maybe you need to pray it two or three times a day like I do. I, I don't know. But, but if we pray this as a, as a church every morning, imagine how our hearts would change. If we just said, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And today, help me to love you and the people I encounter with all my heart. And give me the strength to live like you. Can't get much simpler than that. But that simple prayer, day in and day out, will change us. And, and my prayer is that every single one of us would be authentic followers of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray that you would allow us to take this simple prayer and just make it part of our our ritual, make it part of our day. And my prayer is that you would change us from the inside out. That you would make us authentic followers of you. That we would be real and genuine. That we would be just like you. That's our prayer this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for sending Jesus as our Savior and as our example. Give us the strength to love. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.